Good morning, church. It's great to be back in Tyler, Texas today at Shiloh Road. I love you guys. There's so many familiar faces that I see. Many of you guys have been down to Haiti, and we just appreciate that so much. It's just fantastic. We really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing for our school. What a wonderful effort that you guys are making to have uniforms for our kids. All the, all the kids in, in Haiti wear uniforms to school, a little different than the states, and then giving us the ability to buy a Christian curriculum uh, for our school. Our school is doing extremely well, and I'd love to tell you more about that a little bit later. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and speak today. Um, just love this series that Gary is doing. I've watched the online um, sermons the last couple of weeks, and they're just fantastic. So I hope I don't let you down too, too much, Gary. I, I know this is really expensive real estate up here, and I appreciate you letting me steal it for just a little bit. I really do. So today we're going to be in Romans 8. Romans 8. We're going to focus on the 28th verse, but we're going to be bouncing around a whole lot. Boy, don't you just love Romans? Don't you just love Romans? It's one of my favorite books. You know, the first three chapters are a little tough, though, right? You start out reading Romans. If you stop it at chapter 3, you know, you're sort of left with a, a hole almost. Because in 23, it says, 323, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, man. I mean... That's tough when you say, all have sinned and fall. What am I going to do, right? Well, fortunately, you can't stop at three. You've got to keep going because in chapter four, we learn about how the saving faith of Abraham was there before the law was given. Thousands of years before Jesus showed up, Abraham had faith in the Messiah. Now, how in the world did that work? That's amazing, isn't it? And he became the father of all of us who have faith. All of us, Jew and Gentile, we are all sons of Abraham because we have faith. You know, in chapter 5, chapter 5 is exciting, right? Because we learn that we're justified, that we're made righteous by this faith in God, that God makes us righteous. We're not righteous on our own, are we? But we're righteous because of God. Now, who can get excited today about the righteousness that God gives? Anybody? So, in Haiti, I'm used to preaching in Haiti. Haiti, in church, it's a conversation, right? It's, it's not a lecture. It's a conversation. So, I mean, they tell you if they like it, and they also tell you if they don't like it. So, that sort of goes both ways. But, <clears throat> so, y'all would make me feel so good, so at home, if y'all... Just a little bit of response. Now, one, one thing, all the, all the praise goes to me, all the criticism goes to Gary. So just so uh, you want to sort that out. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 is amazing. We find that we have a new life. We get a do-over. I mean, how often do you get a do-over in life? We get a do-over because of this new life that is in Christ Jesus. How amazing is that? To get a do-over in life. We are free of sin's dominion. 
the dominion of sin, and we become slaves to righteousness. We switch masters, don't we? We switch masters. The old master's gone. He's still around, but he doesn't have any effect on us. And we have a new master, the master of Jesus Christ and righteousness. Finally, we arrive in chapter 8. I mean, don't you, doesn't chapter 8 just knock your socks off? It's absolutely phenomenal. It's the high point, it's the pinnacle of our relationship with God. In chapter 3, we were left sort of with a gut check, right? That all have sinned. But in chapter 8, he says, there is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anybody excited about no condemnation? Wow! I mean, how amazing is that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free from our sins. We are adopted by the Father. We're adopted. And we're, and we're not just adopted, we're made heirs. We actually get to tap into the inheritance, right? The inheritance of the God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, right? All of the universe. We inherit that. We inherit eternal life with that. That's amazing, isn't it? That makes me want to cheer right there. I mean, come on. Cowboys aren't even playing, right? So I want to focus on Romans 8.28. This is a great passage, and we all learned this in Vacation Bible School. That looked like a great Vacation Bible School last week. My goodness. We never had Vacation Bible Schools like that. We had felt boards. Y'all remember those? You know? That's all we had. We didn't have all this digital stuff. I, that was just amazing. I, I wish I'd been here. I would have enjoyed that. Romans 8.28. Open your Bibles to that. We're going to talk about Romans 8.28. 28. <clears throat> Now, notice the way Paul says this. We know. We know. We, we don't think. We don't sort of assume. We, we don't sort of wish. We know. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Some things... Work together? So, is, is that, is, with, I, I've got a new version. I'm not real familiar with it. Does yours say all things or some things? All things. All things. That means good things and bad things, right? I mean, you got all. That's all sort of hard to get these days, right? All things. You say, no, no, no. You don't understand. I mean, I've got some bad stuff in my life right now. You love the Lord? That's working for your good. You say, wait, but I got COVID. You love the Lord? That's working for your good. Yeah, but I got long COVID, right? You love the Lord? That's working for good. But, but we've got inflation. We've got recession. We've got terrible financial problems. You love the Lord? That works for good. All things. We know it, right? 
We don't think it. We know it. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And are called according to his purpose. This is what we're going to talk about today. Those who are called according to his purpose. Those who are born again in a new life, who have faith, are made righteous, and they love God, and they are called their own purpose. Whose purpose? God's purpose. So it's not my purpose, right? Because I just want to be rich and famous and wealthy and, and drive a Ferrari, right? Oops. Is that God's purpose? It's going to be hard to find that one. Not called to my purpose. I'm not here to build my kingdom, right? Whose kingdom am I here to build? The Lord. So we've got to figure this thing out. When we leave here today, we need to have what that purpose is, right? That's going to be our goal. But first, we're going to have to talk about bread. Why in the world are we going to talk about bread? I love bread. I love white bread. I love wheat bread. I love biscuits, especially with some gravy. We're not going to talk about that kind of bread. We're going to talk about a different kind of bread today. Got your attention, didn't I? Is that? See, start by biscuits. That'll get your attention every time. So let's turn to a passage, Leviticus 24, verse 5. And we're going to talk about bread. And bread is going to help us figure out what our purpose is, all right? You've got to stay with me on this. Leviticus 24, verse 5 through 12. So let me go ahead and uh, I'll read this. 5 through 12. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. Now that's really important. Before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering before the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering forever. This is called the bread of the covenant, okay? The bread of the presence, the bread of the tabernacle. It's also called the showbread. If we've got some King James folks in here, it even spells it with an E, showbread. I don't know about that. Showbread. So what is it that this bread has to do with our purpose? we got to get there, right? We're getting there. So let's look at some characteristics of this bread. Notice that there's very specific ingredients that go into this bread. Fine flour. It's not coarse flour, right? This is expensive. This bread is expensive. 
You know, the Talmud is the commentary, the Jewish commentary on the Torah, right? And so it's not scripture, but it's old. The Talmud says that each loaf of bread weighed 11 pounds. Wow. Man, that's a lot of flour. I do not bake bread. I just eat bread. So I have no idea how much flour that is. But I'm assuming that's a lot of flour, right? 11 pounds, 12 loaves. 12 times 11. That's a lot, right? Fine flour goes into this. Frankincense is mixed into this bread, sprinkled on top of this bread, so that it will be a memorial offering before the Lord. That's really important, memorial offering. It's baked at exactly the right time, right? Because it has to be placed on this gold table on the Sabbath. So it, this can't be baked on the Sabbath because that would be work. So it's got to be baked in advance. It's got to be made in advance so that the priest can take it in and put it on this table in the tabernacle on the Sabbath. It's baked in advance. That's another thing that's important. We can talk about that. It's refreshed every week on the Sabbath. The priest comes in. He puts the new loaf, loaves, 12 loaves on the table. He takes the old ones, and then the priests get to eat that part. That's a lot of bread, right? I would have enjoyed that. That would have been great for me. The priests then eat that part of the bread. That bread becomes nourishment. It becomes life-giving to the priests, right? Because they get to eat it. Remember David? Remember when David was going through and he was hungry, right? And he took the bread. He said, I'm going to get the bread. He took the priest's bread. He took the bread from the previous week. It's the priest's bread. Now, the bread that's on the table, that's the Lord's bread. You're not going to take that bread. You want to take that because that's the Lord's. He took the priest's bread. And you know what that was? That was a foreshadowing of the priest and king, right? Because before that time, there was nobody who was priest and king, right? That was not, there was only one of those guys, and that was called Jesus. He was the priest and king. Now we're priests. David was king, but he couldn't be priest. That was Saul's sin, wasn't it? Remember Saul? And he sinned because he, he offered the sacrifice that was the priest? couldn't do that. Why couldn't he do that? Why was that such a big deal? Because Jesus is the only one who's priest and king. So when David ate that bread, he was foreshadowing Jesus. He was in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus was his offspring, and he was foreshadowing that. So what's the significance of the bread of the tabernacle, the bread of the presence with our purpose. Here it is. You've been waiting, right? It's the same word in the Greek. You look at the Greek, you look in, in Romans 8, 28, and you look up purpose, it says prothesis. Prothesis. That's a purpose. That means something that is set in front of a group or someone to be seen. It's something that you put up on your mantle, for instance, so that everybody can see it. Or you have this beautiful flower arrangement, and you put it on a table so everybody can see it. Or 
It's the showbread, so you make this hundreds of pounds of bread and you put it on this golden table in front of the Lord so He can see it. It's the showbread. You're showing the Lord this bread. The frankincense reminds Him of His people, right? He says, ah, there's that bread. I, I remember my people. I remember that they're my people. The, the priests look at the bread and say, ah, oh, the, the provision of the Lord. This is amazing. Look at the bounty of the Lord. Look what the Lord does for us. He gives us bread. That's the remembrance. That's the memorial. That's the same word for purpose. Show bread, purpose. Same word, prothesis. So, the purpose the Lord has for us is symbolized in this bread. In this bread. Now, it's sort of interesting, the Hebrew, the Hebrew for this bread is lechem. Lechem is, is bread. Remember Bethlehem? Beit. Beit is house. Beit Lechem is Bethlehem. That's the house of bread. And guess what? Jesus was born there and he was the bread of life. Right? Well, the Jews got that. That, that, that little play on words where they're going, hmm, that's cool. Okay. I'm with you. So Lechem, okay, is bread. Ha Panim. Ha panim. Panim is face, right? Ha is the. So this is the bread of the face of God. It's the bread of the presence, face, presence of God. So God's presence is seen in this bread. The purpose of God for us in our lives is the exact same thing. He, this is the memorial for him. Our purpose is to be that showbread, to be that bread of the, the presence, to be there with the face of God. That's our purpose. Just like the bread, God's prepared our purpose with great care, right? I don't know how hard it would be to need that much dough, 11 pounds. I'm thinking that's a challenge. I don't know. Never done it. There's great effort. There's great care. There's great love that goes into the baking of this bread. There's great care. There's great love that goes into the creation of the purpose that God has called you to and called you to and called you to. There's special ingredients. The ingredients that go into your purpose are different than the ingredients that go into my purpose. They're different than the, than the ones that go into your purpose. They're very specific. The bread was prepared at exactly the right time, right? So is your purpose. The purpose God has for you is for you right now. It's the perfect timing. It's not late, it's not early. It's in your generation. It's not in somebody else's generation. It's in your generation. It's seen by God as a priceless gift. He gives it to, gives it to us as life. Just as the bread of the presence nourished the priests and gave them life, 
Our purpose that God gives us gives us life, and it gives us abundant life. And not only us, but the world, right? You know, the passages that I love, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Just like the bread. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are priests in the kingdom. We're to eat the bread of the presence. It's refreshed every week. Our, our purpose is refreshed every Sabbath. But what's God's purpose for us? We haven't answered that yet, right? We've just have been talking about bread the whole time. So what's God's purpose for you? Well, let's look at some people in the Bible who we know what their purpose was. That sort of make it nice. Maybe we can glean some ideas about what our purpose is from God. All right, so let's look at David. Everybody turn to Acts 13.36. Acts 13.36. This is one of my favorite passages. You'll, anybody who's been to Haiti, know I have a whole bunch of favorite passages, but this is one of them. This passage seems a little out of place to me. You know, you're sort of rocking along through Acts. You know, you're reading about the missionary journeys and Peter and Paul and, you know, the Jerusalem conference and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's David. It's like, okay, that's sort of interesting. And this, this particular passage is phenomenal to me. I remember, I've probably read it, I've got it highlighted in like 10 different colors, you know, so you know I've read it before. I remember the first time I really saw it. You ever do that? You ever read a passage and you've highlighted, you probably have notes scribbled in your Bible, and, and all of a sudden you read it for the first time, the Lord just opens your eyes. And you're thinking, how am I 62 years old and I never saw this, right? <laughs> Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And David, after he had served the purpose of God, in his own generation, fell asleep. And David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Does that, does that just resonate in your soul? This is what I want is my epitaph, right? You don't have to change a word. The name works, okay? I'm good to go with this. You can just write it down. You don't even have to look my name up, right? This is good. And David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, all right? 
Does anybody else want to use it? You can use it too. Don't have a copyright on it. You're, you can do it. It's great. So what were the purposes of God in David? What were they? Well, I mean, he did so much stuff. I mean, we could talk until, we could go until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Nothing's going on, right? I mean, there's so many things that God had David do, right? David wanted to build the temple, didn't he? He wanted to build the temple so badly. Did he build the temple? Why not? Why didn't God let him build the temple? He had blood on his hands. It was probably Uriah, right? He had blood on his hands. He couldn't build the temple. Who built the temple? What generation was he? Oh, it was the next one. So David got to do the next best thing, though, right? If he wasn't going to build the temple, he was going to get everything ready for it. He was not going to miss a bolt, right? Or a screw. He, he was going to get every, all the drywall, right? I don't know. They didn't have drywall. But he got all of the lumber. He got all of the stones. Everything ready to build the temple. He bought the land. He bought the land for the temple. He, he went through the whole area of Jerusalem looking for the land to buy. And, and you know what he said about that? Let's look at Psalm 132. 132, verse 3. This is David. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not allow my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Can you just hear the passion in that psalm? I mean, he said he wasn't going home until he found the place to build the temple. He was not going to sleep. How long did it take? I don't know. But I bet he was worn out. The passion that David exhibited for his purpose that God gave him is phenomenal. The passion. I will not sleep. And David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, did what? Fell asleep. The passion of his purpose. You know, David defeated the Lord's enemies. You know, the Lord came to David and says, I want you to kill all the Philistines. And he did. He, he apparently was very good at it. There was, the women sang songs. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. That's a lot of people with a sword. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? I can't. The Lord gave him a task. I want you to defeat my enemies. David did it. How much danger do you think he was in? Every day. He's going into the Philistine camp, camps. And he's killing Philistines. 
What, what kind of courage do you think that took to get up every day? You, th- you think he got a few battle wounds in the process? I bet he did. Courage. He managed his fear. He knew God was with him. And he killed the enemies of God. He exhausted himself killing the enemies of God. But like the Lechem HaPanim, he was refreshed every week. Ready to go again and fulfill the purpose of God. One of my favorites David brought the worship of God back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God descended, right? Well, the Ark had been taken into battle, and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines, right? The presence of God, the place where the, where the people met with God, that, that was their access to God. Their, their portal of entry into God was taken away. It's a big deal. Well, the Philistines suffered. They got tumors. They got boils. I don't know what kind of tumors they got, but they got tumors. And they said, it's enough. We can't handle this art thing anymore. We got to get rid of this thing. And so they put it on the cart. They hitched it up to a couple of cows and says, here I get, right? That's what we'd say in Texas. I don't know how they say that in, in Hebrew. I have to look that one up. And these, these cows wandered around, right? They wandered around, and they came to a, a village. It was Kiriath-Jarim. Kiriath-Jarim. That means village of the woods. If you're from Houston, you'd probably call that the woodlands, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. Probably a nice place. Today, it's called Abu Ghosh. Abu Ghosh is an Arab village, very nice Arab village, fantastic restaurant. If you're ever in the area, give me a call. We'll get something to eat. Abu Ghosh is the name of it today. He brought the, the ark back from Abinadab's house in Kiriath-Sharim, and he danced with all of his might before the ark. Here's the ark coming in, right? And here's the king of Israel, right? The king of Israel is dancing with all of his might. So much that even his wife criticized him, right? He, he, he didn't care about any dignity, right? He didn't care about, oh, he's king of Israel, right? That, that was a, abandoned. He just said he was so excited about bringing worship back into Jerusalem, bringing the presence of God back to Jerusalem, that he just danced, right? I can't dance, so me dancing would not be a good thing. But him dancing apparently was a great thing, right? He risked everything for this purpose, right? He risked his integrity. He risked his life. He risked the, the acceptance of the people, he risked his reputation for the purpose of God. David had incredible passion for his purpose, right? He had incredible courage for his purpose. He, he, risks, he risked his life to fulfill his purpose. Danger was not a problem. 
That's just part of it, right? He suffered for his purpose. And he risked everything for his purpose. Well, let's look at another individual who we know is purpose, right? Jesus. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he come? Save us. He came to save sinners, right? And, and, and that's it. He came to save sinners. John 10.10, 10, one of my favorite verses. It, it's, it may be my favorite. I don't know. He came, Jesus came to give life and give life. Now, you, you talk to somebody who's living in a fancy house in Dallas about Jesus coming to give life and give life abundantly, and they're going, yeah, I got it pretty good. It's good. Well, what about a Haitian? What about a Haitian who's making maybe $1.80 a day for his whole family? He, he's already lost half of his children to disease and starvation. Half. 50% right off the top. His wife is, has a high risk of, of dying in childbirth. And you say, Jesus came to give life and give life abundantly. And he's like, okay. I'm just not seeing it. I mean, forgive me, but what did I do with that? It's a little different, isn't it? Jesus came to give grace and truth. Grace and truth. Could we use a little grace and truth these days? Grace and truth are in short supply, don't you think? Grace and truth, and he came to save sinners. What is my purpose? I can't get up here and talk about purpose if I don't know my purpose, right? I mean, that'd be pretty shallow. I know my purpose. The Lord's revealed it to me. My purpose, the Lord has given me, is to give abundant life to the poor. Those are my folks. The poor. We're not talking about the poor in the United States. We're talking about the poor in the world. And you know the problem with that? It would be great to just come up in an air-conditioned space and just talk about the poor. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is you've got to go live with them, right? And the problem with living with the poor is you're living poor, right? The problem with, with living with the poor is you're living like them. And, and if they don't have electricity, you don't have electricity. If they don't have clean water, you don't have clean water. If they don't have health care, you don't have health care. Well, I do, but I'm a little different. My purpose, the Lord has given me, very specific, very specific, is to give abundant life. We know what abundant life is, right? That's salvation. To give life and give abundant life to the poor. But what does that look like? It's got to look like something, right? We can't just say all these nice, lofty, beautiful words. We've got to come drill it down. We've got to make it look like something. What does that look like? You know, in Haiti, where we live, when we went there in 2013, we realized that they didn't have access to clean water. They're, they were drinking brown water, terrible, contaminated water. 
I mean, you wouldn't want to get it on you, right? And so we decided to drill water wells and get them clean water, right? It's not exactly rocket science, right? So we drilled water wells, and now everybody in our area has access to clean water. If they're drinking dirty water, it's on them. They got plenty of water. But here's the deal. When we give them clean water, what do we do? We tell them about the living water, right? And they get that. We saw that half the children, 50% of the kids under five, who's got a, a child or a grandchild under age five? I got grandchildren under age five. Under age five are starving to death. Moderately to severely malnourished. So we decided to start a feeding program. We started with 300 kids. Problem was, there's 10,000 kids. We started with 300. We're feeding almost 8,000 kids a day today. We're trying to get to 10,000. If that silly COVID would get out of the way, I think we'd be there. 10,000 kids where we need to be. We're at 8,000, 7,700 a day. Feeding them. They get, they're getting... 70% of their caloric needs by the meal we give them. You'll see a lot of groups, they feed 70 calories. 70 calories, that's three M&Ms. Okay, for me, that's a rounding error. That's not even like, I mean, I breathe that many calories a day, right? So we're given 700 to 1,200 calories, depending on how old the kid is. And what do we do? We tell them about the bread of life. The lechem, Right? The lechem ha-panim. We tell them about that. We noticed that they didn't have health care. So we built a hospital. We're delivering their babies. We see 20,000, 30,000 patients a year in our hospital. They have full access to great health care, right? And what do we do? Got to have the allegory going, right? We tell them about Great physician, that's right. We tell them about the great physician, and they get it. And people are coming to the Lord in droves. Why? Because John 10.10 starts to make sense. You say, we're going to give you life and give you abundant life? They go, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm not dying of, of dirty water. My kids aren't dying of insufficient food. My wife's not dying in childbirth anymore. I get that. Okay. Got it. And they're coming to the Lord. You know, you live in a country like Haiti, there's sacrifice involved. I always leave this point for last because everybody leave if I started with it, right? Don't lead with the bad stuff. Here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. Your purpose always always includes sacrifice. It always includes suffering. Not sometimes. Always. I used to say sometimes. It's not sometimes, it's always. It includes suffering. We've been attacked, shot at, beaten, robbed hundreds of times. Just on and on and on. Our base manager murdered. Our team members kidnapped for ransom, tortured for four days. 
suffering, okay? Now, this suffering is not the suffering that's common to man, right? This is suffering that's very specific. If you suffer with Jesus, then you are glorified with Jesus, right? Romans 8, 16. If, in fact, we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. Not suffering because I stubbed my toe on the way out the door. Not suffering because uh, I'm sick or my parents are, are ailing. That's common to man stuff. Whether you're Christian or not, suffering specifically because you're a Christian. It's part of the purpose. So, Romans 8.18, I count the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's about to be revealed to us. So I was talking to a missions committee in Alabama not too long ago, and um, I was telling them a little bit about what's happened to us. And, and they said, why? Why in the world do you go? Why do you go back? I mean, that's crazy. Are you out of your mind? I said, no, out of my mind would be moving to Chicago. It's dangerous up there. You know, you be careful. What's the answer? It's the purpose the Lord's given us, right? We're going to suffer, right? We know that. We knew it going in. Didn't really get the details. We sort of left out some details. The big picture was there, but the details are a little rough. Let me tell you a story about the purpose. Some of you know this lady. I'm going to use her name. Berlin. Raise your name, raise your arm if you know Berlin. Yeah, Berlin. Berlin is a fun, nice woman. 30, 30 years old, 30 something years old. Got a whole bunch of kids. She's fun. You would like Berlin. You would really like her. She's fun. She laughs all the time. She's fun. She's a prostitute. We knew she was a prostitute when we hired her, right? We, we don't have those credentials in our job hiring sheet. We don't include that. Our hiring is a ministry. She was a prostitute. We knew she was a prostitute. Everybody in town knew there she was a prostitute, right? Especially the men, right? Berlin. Berlin, we have, we have a, a, a church uh, devotional service every morning during the week, right? So before work starts, everybody comes to the church, we have a worship service. Berlin would come, and she would fall on her face just weeping, saying, I've got to give my life to Jesus. And she just, I just can't. I just can't. Months and months and months would go by. She'd do the same thing. And one, one Friday, she said, hey, I'm coming to church. I'm going to give my life to Jesus this Sunday. No show. She didn't show up. On and for years, Berlin. One day, Berlin shows up at church dressed real fancy, which usually means something big's going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's an event for them. Berlin <clears throat> comes forward. We have a team. I actually have a church team down there. This is a little awkward. You have to 
manage some of these. She comes in and she says, today's the day. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And so I'm translating for her. I mean, I love Bradley. She's, she's just a wonderful person. She doesn't do wonderful things, but she, she's a wonderful person. So I was translating for her, and she said, one thing that, happened, that we do in Haiti is we confess our sins before the congregation. I don't, do we do that? We don't do that anymore, right? No, that's passe, I guess. But we, in, in Haiti, confess your sins. Now, just about everybody except for the church group from America knew exactly what Berlin's sins were, you know. But she confessed her sins. And so I'm translating. And so she starts off and, you know, I'm a prostitute. But then she says something I didn't know. I had no idea. She said, I'm the voodoo temple cult prostitute. Well, I didn't know that. I thought she was just a run-of-the-mill prostitute. I thought the reason she wasn't coming to the Lord is because she liked the extra money, right? That wasn't it. She had signed in blood that she would be the temple cult prostitute on pain of death. If she left, they would kill her. Sacrifice. Suffering. She came forward dressed nicely, fully expecting to die. We baptized Berlin. Incredible, incredible experience. She's still alive. The voodoo priest died. So maybe that was somebody had to die. He died. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. I know it happened, but I don't know how that works. Berlene is a faithful member of our church. She sits right on the second row all the time. She's got her spot, right? She sings her heart out. She, and her children are believers. The purpose of God for me and my generation included Berlene. Included a lot of stuff, but included Berlin. How much would you sacrifice to get Berlin into heaven? How much? She, she, she doesn't look like me. She doesn't speak English. She's in a completely so different social economic class than I am. We have almost nothing in common, right? And we, would you sacrifice for somebody like that? I mean, absolutely. If she had been the only one who had come and was saved, all the sacrifice that we've gone through would have been worth it, right? Sacrifice. David's passion and courage for his purpose Risking everything for your purpose? Jesus, your purpose must give life, give life abundantly. Your purpose is valuable to the kingdom. And it's always accompanied with suffering. If you suffer with him, then you'll be glorified with him. It's an if. And then, if you suffer with him, then you'll be glorified with him.
So, here's your challenge. I want you to know exactly what your purpose is. So, I want everybody, here's your assignment. I want you to go home this afternoon. I want you to get on your knees in your closet or wherever you pray. And I want you to ask God, what purpose do you have for me? What is it in my generation so that I can do it and go to sleep? What is it? Now remember, it can't be your kingdom. It's his kingdom, right? It's got to include suffering. It's got to include passion. It's got to include courage. It's got to include abundant life, saving sinners. Those are all elements of it. Nobody can tell you what it is, by the way. But the Lord can, and he will. So ask him, and then be quiet and listen. Really, really, really listen. God is the God of revelation, right? He reveals himself to us. He reveals himself in the bread. He reveals himself to the ones who love him. So, as we close today, I want to, I want to bless you guys, okay? This is a blessing that's called the Aaronic Blessing. It's in number 624. And I want to I say it over you in Hebrew. Are there any Hebrew scholars here? Good, because if I mess up, you won't get me. Um, so I'm going I'm to speak this over you in Hebrew, and then I want us to speak it over each other in English. Okay? The ironic blessing. Ivarekaka Adonai. Vi yesh merka yair Adonai Panav aleka Vekunaka yisa Adonai Panav aleka Veyasim leka Shalom So let's say it in English over each other The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. Thank you.